Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Haif Kavraman. She was born in Baghdad, Iraq, and lives and works in Los Angeles. The body, as object and subject, have a central role in her painting practice, as she compositely embodies the artist herself and a collective. Her recent solo exhibitions include Gut Feelings, The Mosaic Rooms in London, Touch of Otherness, The Scad Museum of Art, both in 2022 and in 2020, Not Quite Human, Second Iteration, Pilar, Corius Gallery in London. Group exhibitions in 2021 include Reflections, Contemporary Art of the Middle East and North Africa, the British Museum, Blurred Bodies, San Jose Museum of Art, New Time, Art and Feminism in the 21st Century, Berkeley Art Museum, to name a few. Haves' work is in several important international collections, including the British Museum in London, Museum of Contemporary Art, San Diego, LACMA, Birmingham Museum of Art, the Rebel Family Collection, the Arab Museum of Modern Art, Doha, and the Perez Art Museum in Miami. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Have Kavraman. Have, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Thank you. Let's talk about when did you realize that being an artist is really was your, your path, your journey? I think really, really early on uh, at a very young age. You know, I grew up in Baghdad in the 80s. Uh, which was quite a tumultuous environment to be in. Um, so you had the Iran-Iraq war right when I was born, and then the first Gulf War that I lived through. Um, but I really think that my parents helped foster this creativity and you know, pushed me to feel that it was okay to express myself. So we actually had a playroom in our house in Baghdad that my sister and I were... We were allowed to basically paint anywhere in that room. So, you know, all four walls, the doors, you name it, you know. So imagine a little kid being able to have that kind of freedom, you know, especially when what's outside is very restrictive. So, yeah, I mean, we filled we filled that room with a lot of characters and concerns and jokes and stories. And I really think it enabled me to establish a sense of freedom, you know, like I could let go of any concerns that I might have experienced outside of those four walls. I mean, there was also, so we used to also have, well, my parents <laughs> used to have these mini soirees in our house in Baghdad where they would invite like all kinds of creative people. So, you know, designers, architects, musicians, and they would hang out, you know, and chat in the living room. 
And I would be in the room next to them doing these quick, like gestural paintings. And every now and then, like one of them would come in to the room where I was sitting and sort of encourage me and give me this mini critique. <laughs> and this was like, this was everything, right? To have that encouragement come from, you know, multiple voices. And over the years, have you ever thought about what career path you may have chosen if you wouldn't have had? Uh... Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one. <laughs> and I think I would probably, I, I mean, it would have to be something creative. So like a designer, maybe a graphic designer, maybe an architect. But I, I also, you know, because of like living through all this turmoil, a lot of kind of both fast violence, like in terms of actual, you know, air raids in the sky, but also slow kind of insidious violence of having to basically assimilate in, in Europe and in Sweden as a refugee. There's been a lot of trauma in my life. And so I've had to learn to develop these various tools to survive that and to also thrive through that. And I think, you know, maybe a psychologist... <laughs> would have been something to delve into but also it's like it's very rewarding kind of to um yeah to be able to to help right and i i mean hopefully i can also do this through my work maybe it can become a tool for my audience as well are any of those childhood memories reflected in your work yes i would say so i think you know memory for me is very important I think it allows a space for resistance. And yeah, I mean, being a refugee, there's definitely kind of a rupture that happens in, well, it happened in my biography, right? So there's a clear sort of delineation between past and present. And that past is something so valuable. Well, it actually becomes more valuable because you can't access it anymore, right? And then like, you know, undergoing this process of assimilation that I went in Sweden, it was basically all based on erasing that past. So um, this is quite violent, right? So I think injecting memory in the work for me is an act of resisting that violence and the erasure as well. So that it does pop up in many instances, I would say. How would you define your practice? What materials do you use in your work? You know, I'm a Pisces. I don't like to define things. I'm always like everywhere and nowhere, <laughs> but I'll try. I'm primarily a painter. Yeah, that is my language. I'm also quite a conceptual artist in the sense that there's a lot of research that goes into anything that I make. You know, a painting is never just a painting, right? Uh, for me, the whole process is very systematic and thought out and but although having said that, though, I think um, there are nodes in the making of the work that allow me to sort of move beyond the, the, the structure, which, which is a lot of fun. I mean, there are also, I mean, I do have sort of the main themes that I go through that I find very interesting. And those are that of migration politics. <laughs> what uh, I call uh, migrant consciousness and, you know, this idea of difference and otherness uh, and, of course, that of gender. You know, I'm constantly trying to sort of undo these, um, these binaries that the Western world has placed upon us. Uh, your question, you asked me about materials, right, as well? Yes. 
So I mostly paint with oil on um, linen or on panel. I do a lot of drawings on paper. I find that painting is the easiest way to negotiate all of these questions that I have in my head that really never get answered though <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but that's okay. And I do try to push the materials a little further. Like I, you know, if I'm painting sort of on exposed wood, I'm thinking about the wood grain, right? And negotiating that. I've also played around with the linen in terms of cutting it and then um, sort of reweaving the structure, the surface. And now recently, I've been also delving into flax fibers, um, using that as a substrate. In creating work, what would you say is the most substantial challenge that you've had as an artist? I mean, there are many challenges, right? I think the most mundane ones are, are like that of kind of admin work. That's just, you know, boring. Uh, but challenging, I think... For me, it's like when I finished a body of work and I've released it into the world, I'm usually in the space in which I'm in between bodies of work, right? And this for me is the most challenging because it's precarious. You know, it's like, okay, what's coming next? And where do I want to go? Uh, and so you're sort of like in between these multiple paths. Yeah, and choosing one path can be challenging, but also exciting at the same time. While you're working, do you think about who your audience is and whether or not they'll understand your message? I do think about my audience, yeah. I, I mean, I make work partly to communicate things, right? And that involves, you know, considering who you're speaking to. Whether they understand my work or not, I'm not sure I'm so concerned with the audience understanding the work because, you know, many times I don't understand. It. I mean, the work is so, you know, multi-layered for me. So to say that there's been a kind of an understanding feels a little bit too definitive, you know, and then again, you know, my understanding is very different from your understanding. So because I mean, I do feel that there are many ways to see and to delve into the work. So it's not, for me, it's not so much about understanding. I think it's more about connecting with an artwork. So does my audience connect with my work or not? I, I don't know. You know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. And, and again, that's okay. When do the titles of the work enter the creative process? I'm not good at titling my work. I, and honestly, it's something I dread doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's very hard to summarize a painting in a word or a few words. And I mean, I don't know if um, if I'm being a bit selfish in terms of not providing my audience with more information, but I don't see it. I don't see the titles as like something that is so pivotal. So they they they, they come in after <laughs> they come in after making. <laughs> yeah. And do you listen to music while you're working? You know, I. I don't listen to music. I very early on, uh, when I started painting, I would have the news on, uh, on, on repeat again and again and again. And this was also at the, you know, the height of the sectarian violence in Iraq. So Iraq was being, you know, highlighted in, in the news. And I do think that it fueled a lot of the work at the time. Uh, but then I had to stop because, yeah, it got too much. <laughs> and I stopped for a long time. And, you know, like the other day, I found myself thinking about 
or wanting to listen to something, partly also because I do have a very loud neighbor. <laughs> but uh, And yeah, and I, it was, I was kind of caught off guard because I'm like, okay, what do I listen to? Eventually, I, I put some Arabic music on and um, right away, I s- just started crying. And I think I've put this pause in listening to music because it stirs a lot of emotion. And when I'm working, I sort of need to focus and I need that silence. But, you know, there are also like places in the making of the work in which I could allow myself to listen to music. When, and it's something that I do want to start, you know, incorporating now also to sort of allow myself to feel you know, to be okay with feeling that pain and and to work through it, which is what I do in the painting as well. How do you keep learning? Learning, this is very important to me. Um, In fact, I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing if I could not continue researching. So yeah, learning for me involves a lot of reading. I read a lot of critical theory, philosophy, and anthropology. And you know, the research tends to be very theoretical and heavy, but I find it very inspiring. And what does your studio look and feel like? Well, right now I just have a very kind of austere industrial warehouse with like the high ceilings and the white walls and yeah, I, I tend to need that kind of environment because I find it to be non-obtrusive, right? So I need that clarity. And, you know, I'm a very clean and tidy artist, so <laughs> I need that. So what are you excited about right now? I am actually excited about this new process of art making that I'm, well, it's not new really, but I'm I'm sort of reworking it and developing it. It's that of marbling. The dipping of the paper into a tray of water with floating pigment, essentially. I love it because it forces me to um, to relinquish any assumptions in terms of how I want a painting to look like, right? So there's a lot of letting go of control because it's such an unpredictable process, right? It changes depending on the environment you're in. So like even the wind or even like small dust particles in your studio or wherever you are will make the pigment act and move differently on the surface of the water. And yeah, I'm a very controlled artist. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) So it's nice for me to let go of that, you know, and it's also partly like it becomes very therapeutic. So yeah, so I've been sort of marbling like everything in my studio, not only paper, also my linen. So what is the process like in thinking through your choice of color? Your, your color palette. I definitely do think that there's, you know, there is a specific color palette that I do have. I like subtlety, you know, so I'll use some sort of low saturated colors and maybe have one very high chroma color in there. And yeah, these are all aesthetic decisions that just come. I do the color sketches also on Photoshop. So everything is sort of predetermined before I even paint. It makes me think of a word, a Swedish word that I don't think exists in English. It's it's called lagom. <laughs> and uh, it basically translates to not too much and not too little, you know, very Swedish. <laughs> but I mean, having said that, though, I'm I'm not sure that I mean, there is there are instances of dissonance, I think, that do happen in the colors that I do use. And those are lovely when that happens. 
What do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? I really enjoy every step of it. I mean, as challenging as it is, it's very rewarding. I mean, I I would not know what I would do if it wasn't for, you know, this ability to make artwork. So I'm very I'm very grateful for being where I am today. Has your practice changed much over the years? I think there's a constant evolution in my work. You know, I'm a firm believer in fluidity and change and movement, not only because of the experience of an of an immigrant, but really because I feel that there is this, you know, there's a constant movement in everything around us. And that includes my work, you know. So I look back at you know, the work I did a decade ago, and I feel that it's very different from today. Not only like, you know, formal aesthetic terms, but also the state of mind, right? I mean, I see my work as auto-ethnographic. And, you know, so with that comes the state in which you are in at the very moment, right? So Have like 10 years ago, even Have yesterday is very different from Have today. So yes, there, there's a constant, constant movement there. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So this last question is another full-bodied question, which is, what do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? Yeah, that is a very difficult question to answer. I mean, because I, I truly believe that art is subjective. So, so art for me, or rather art making for me, is a methodology, you know, and a means to question you know, these various ideas that I have and to communicate them as well. Also, having said that, though, I do think that the best kind of art is the art that you can't explain. It moves beyond theory and theorizing. It's the kind of art that just touches you. That, in my opinion, is the best kind of art. My purpose as an artist, <laughs> I, I'd probably say that it's that of a mediator. You know, I think I've succeeded if I can somehow make you feel seen. That's, you know, that's for me the best compliment I can get that that you are and that you feel seen. That the artist or the viewer? The viewer. The viewer, yeah. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.